0: Welcome to the Six Podcast, available on Apple and Google Podcasts. This is episode 68 of the show, where we talk about how the airline passenger experience is evolving in a mobile, social, vocal world. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, Mary. I'm getting excited about my, my next aviation adventure up to the New York Air Show. Coming up uh, August 24th and and 25th, the Red Arrows are coming across the pond, which I've never uh, never seen them perform before. That'll be good. But also the F-35 demo team is scheduled to be there. So I'm really looking forward to that. Anything big and fast and loud with Pratt & Whitney engines, I'm excited.
0: Yeah, that's right up your alley, Max. Um, no, that sounds spectacular. I'm I'm looking forward to getting back on the road myself here uh, at the beginning of September for the big Apex Expo in Los Angeles, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's good to be chatting with you again.
1: Great. Well, let's take a look at some of the PAXX news stories that are making headlines. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has a new administrator on August 12th. Stephen Dixon was sworn in by U.S. Transportation Secretary Elaine Chow. Dixon is a longtime industry veteran with nearly 40 years of experience. He recently retired from service as the Senior Vice President of Flight Operations for Delta Airlines. There, he was responsible for the safety and operational performance of Delta's global flight operations, as well as pilot training, crew resources, crew scheduling, and regulatory compliance. Now, notably, he also flew in line operations as an Airbus A320 captain. Previously, he flew on the Boeing 727, the 37, the 57, and the 767 during his career, He's also a former United States Air Force officer, having flown the F 15 fighter. Well, after the swearing in ceremony, Dixon commented on the Boeing 737 MAX's return to service. He said, quote, I want to again be clear and absolutely committed that the FAA is a safety driven organization, and safety is my highest priority. This plane will not fly commercial service again until I'm completely assured that it is safe to do so. Well, Dixon becomes the 18th administrator of the FAA. Uh, It's a big job, as we all know, uh, over a $16 billion budget, over 47,000 employees. And, of course, he's replacing acting administrator Dan Elwell. And Elwell is going to serve as FAA deputy administrator, which I think is is smart, Mary. That kind of helps the transition, I think.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and he's also been actually rather on the ball. I don't know if you've found that during the, the various hearings, Max. Uh, Elwell has... He, he seems like a very kind of a logical individual, <laughs> yes. very kind of calm and logical. And, and, and so, yeah, I think uh, keeping him on board here uh, makes a ton of sense. But, you know, Dixon's resume is really remarkable. Oh, it, it
1: is. It? it absolutely is. I mean, certainly he knows commercial aviation. He knows military aviation. I don't know about his general aviation experience or, or background, but the FAA is – Well, you could say maybe they're in a crisis right now, or at least the certification process is. Boeing is certainly in crisis right now, and that puts the FAA in a critical period. Boeing, the FAA, and the whole country, the United States, the flying public, all of us need to get the 737 MAX issues resolved. And uh, I think that's probably his number one priority right now.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, and I have to say the notion that the head of the FAA has flown the 737 before is at least somewhat confidence inducing, um given the Max grounding. Appreciating of course that the Max has material differences to legacy 737s. And I bet I'm not alone in wanting to see Dixon test the Max software fixes in a simulator at minimum, but perhaps in real life too. And kind of drawing on the idea you proposed a few episodes ago in the context that airline pilots would play an important role in assuring the traveling public of the MAX's safety, perhaps such texts with Dixon in a real or simulated cockpit could be disseminated to the public. Um, You know, I think it's interesting that President Trump announced that Dixon was his pick late last year, and that was months before the March crash of Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. So Dixon's 737 experience might not have been a material factor in his appointment, but it's certainly kind of convenient now, I think, in some ways. Um, But we'd also be remiss if we didn't, on the other hand, mention that there are reports also – and there's been some controversy, let's say, around the Dixon appointment – Um, where uh, a long-time 777 pilot, uh, Carlene Petit, uh, was grounded after she relayed uh, safety concerns to Delta management, um, allegedly. This is all part of a lawsuit right now. And um, it was understood that Dixon had ratified the decision to have her psych-evaluated. And there's been a number of reports out there, Max. Um, The Politico report is a big one, but others have weighed in as well, including aviation journalist Christine Negroni, who uh, wrote a recent post for her Flying Lessons website, and she said in reference to the the Dixon appointment, quote, what kind of advocate for the flying public will Dixon be if in his job with Delta he seemed more inclined to target the messenger than investigate the message, end quote. So she didn't mince any words there. Um, And, of course, when members of the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee learned of Dixon's involvement in this, what's being described as a whistleblower case while at Delta... Um, They slowed down the process of voting them in, but in the end, uh, a 52-40 vote broke along party lines. So I'm certainly hopeful that Dixon uh, fosters the safety culture, as he described in his remarks after being sworn in. Max, I, I certainly hope that that is the case. He is, of course, again, not without some controversy, as mentioned. And as you say, um, one of his many tasks now will be to ensure that his agency is 100 percent confident that the Max is airworthy before it returns to service, which is now looking like it might not happen until the end of the year and potentially even longer. Um, Given what you've read, Max, do you you feel like Dixon is the right man for the job right now?
1: He is on paper, um, certainly. And the, these other issues uh, are are kind of uh, problematic for me, cause me to question a little bit the commitment to safety. But on paper, I mean, with his background and the planes he's flown and the, uh, the positions he's held in the past would seem to indicate that he would be a really great candidate for this uh, FAA position as administrator and someone who can hopefully navigate through all of the complexities of getting the 737 MAX back up in the air yeah but uh you know we do see problems coming up uh any any system as complicated as an aircraft these days uh, when you start to look into it, you're always gonna find things that aren't a hundred percent perfect. Does that mean that they're unsafe? No, not necessarily. But once you open up the box and look inside, you find things, and we've seen how they've found things. Uh, there's this uh, one issue with the uh, uh, simulations that were uh, that were conducted, and they uncovered a circumstance under which the plane would have a nose down attitude, same as what we talk about with the MCAS, but not related to the MCAS apparently and the FAA was concerned that in the simulators the pilots either couldn't respond to this kind of unusual condition quickly enough or or they just couldn't and so now Boeing is looking at utilizing the the second flight control computer the 737 has two computers two flight control computers and I didn't realize this but they'll use just one computer on a flight, and then on the next flight, they switch and use the other computer. Reportedly, Boeing was able to demonstrate to the FAA previously, as part of the certification process, that that computer is reliable enough so that only one was needed. Well, now they're looking at changing that and instead operating both computers on every flight so that they can be cross-checked against one another to see if there are this condition arises that causes this nose down the nose down pitch so I mean that's uh, it that looks, seems
0: like a big deal. It
1: does seem I like mean, a <laughs> big deal.
0: I mean, the Seattle Times is calling it a fundamental software design change, uh, and it looks like uh, Satcom guru Peter Lemmy has weighed in, as he has uh, throughout all of these months, um, with respect to the grounding. Uh, he's weighed in on this latest Seattle Times report, dated August one. But this is this is something rather significant and material, and I guess. You know, with all of these regular reports now, uh, including, as you say, the, these reports that originally broke in June and the latest reports that, you know, this is a fundamental software design change um, being executed at Boeing, um, the public now is more aware of the Max, not less aware.
1: Boy, <laughs> are they ever. <laughs> oh.
0: You know, and we're seeing many people, including now people in industry, uh, vowing to either not fly the MAX or to wait until it's in revenue service for some time without incident before doing so. And that's also something that I've I've noticed shift a little bit where, you know, in the initial weeks, even after the worldwide grounding, there were some, including some rather prominent aviation geeks, but there were some prominent individuals in industry that were still giving a certain amount of benefit of the doubt to Boeing. Um, whereas we're seeing... Uh, just a little bit more caution with words now. And, um, and of course, we're seeing on, on social media, we continue to see uh, travelers that are just outright afraid, which takes us back again to how do you instill confidence in the traveling public after this aircraft has been grounded for so long? Um, and it's kind of painful to think that okay, this grounding could end, it could it could go on till the end of the year, but it might even, you know, go into next year. Mm. I mean, there's there's talk now, including some of the suppliers uh, on their recent earnings calls, are talking about you know it's a possibility that this could bleed into 2020. And what does that mean? What does it mean for uh, travelers that have heard nothing but negative reports about the Boeing 737 Max then for say a year? Um, and then what does it mean for all of the airlines and suppliers that are attached to this aircraft? It's kind of staggering to think about.
1: It is. And we're seeing more and more airlines and PAXX stakeholders sharing a little bit of color around the negative impact to their businesses on this protracted MAX grounding uh, one thing you see from the the carriers is that capacity is tight right now, especially for those who are dependent on the max and this is uh, causing some difficulties. We're seeing uh, routes canceled and a, a lot of fallout from this. Mary, how do you think the airlines, as well as the suppliers have been affected?
0: Yeah, I mean the the reports are kind of pouring in now on a near daily basis of the impact on airlines and of course, ergo their operations of the grounding. Uh, Norwegian, for instance, says it will end flights between the North America between North America and Ireland on uh, I think it's September 15. Now, here's the statement that they issued. Quote, since March, we have tirelessly sought to minimize the impact on our customers by wet leasing replacement aircraft to operate services between Ireland and North America. However, as the return to service date for the 737 MAX remains uncertain, this solution is unsustainable. Now, to be fair, Norwegian has had uh, a number of financial difficulties even without the MAX involved. But this is really compounding things uh, rather rather, uh, desperately for them. Um, but others are saying you know, similar things, whether it is about uh, the fallout to their finances or even just their operations. Uh, so you have Canadian ultra-low-cost carrier Swoop, which blamed some of its July disruptions on the MAX. Now, this is an airline that doesn't even operate the MAX, but it said effectively that – Tight capacity in the market is preventing it from chartering other aircraft. And indeed, tight capacity appears to be a very real problem. It reports that even older jets are now... In hot demand. And then over at Airbus, of course, meanwhile, uh, they've got a huge backlog for A320 NEOs. So it's not as simple for an operator as saying, okay, now I'm going to go buy <laughs> Airbus. Um, and so, so yeah, it's been, it, it's been just staggering the number of reports of the fallout. Now, even passenger experience stakeholders are weighing in. And like I said, I covered the earnings calls for a number of these stakeholders recently um, for in-flight connectivity providers, GoGo global eagle and viasat as well as in-seat power leader and ifec provider astronics and all of them are exposed to the max and they're all putting figures around that exposure and warning that of course things could get worse if this drags on um, but one thing that i found that was interesting was that both gogo and astronics during their calls highlighted the fact that because of tight capacity in the market airlines are reluctant to take aircraft out of service to retrofit their aircraft and modernize their aircraft, whether that is with in-flight entertainment and connectivity, seats, bins, you name it. They don't want to take aircraft out. And the knock-on effect is that the grounding of the MAX is affecting aircraft retrofits on on other aircraft types, which has then that knock-on effect for suppliers because, you know, they have a schedule uh, that they're looking at a forecast for example that they're looking at of retrofits and those forecasts are now being greatly impacted because airlines are hanging onto their planes and yes. they don't want to take them out of service uh, which is just it's like this domino effect that's just unreal you know
1: that's right and it just it just keeps expanding farther and farther into the supply chain as well uh, i see that the um, GE the CFO Jamie Miller, talked about the effect on cash flow uh, because of the grounding. And, of course, um, GE Aviation, uh, in their partnership, uh, CFMI, supplies the the engines for the 737s. And uh, Jamie Miller says the uh, negative cash flow impact is around $400 million a quarter. Now, that's a cash flow impact, so presumably... When the uh, the volume returns, the production volume returns from the 42 a month that they're currently operating at, that Boeing is, presumably they'll get caught up and their cash flow will get caught up. But right now they're eating a $400 million a quarter issue with cash flow. But uh, we also talk about the possible impact on the, the NMA or the so-called 797. Oh, yes. uh, certainly that's been delayed. Uh, we see more and more voices talking about maybe that's going to lead to a cancellation. I know Richard Abelafia is uh, not, not very confident that we're going to uh, to see a, an NMA. And I, I think his, his latest or, or the most recent prediction I've seen from him is, you know, it's less than 50 percent that Boeing will go ahead with that.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. And, you know, it, OK, I'm going to say it selfishly from a passenger experience standpoint and I'm not alone in this either, you know, some of us have been hoping with this NMA that Boeing would kind of put a fresh emphasis, shall we say, on um, the passenger experience and give serious thought to uh, the cross-section and uh, potentially wider seats than what we see on the 737. Of course, one of the uh, the great, uh, you know, Negatives around the 737 outside of the MAX grounding is that uh, the seats are only 17 inches wide, which we talk a lot about. And Airbus has an advantage with an 18-inch uh, wide seat on the A320. And so some of us in PAX-X land, Max, have been kind of hoping that, all right, with this new design aircraft, that Boeing will A, push forward, and B, really hit it out of the park from a Paxx <laughs> X standpoint. Now, maybe... <laughs> Maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe it is. But, um, you know, I, I do think that given, you know, what we've talked about so often that that humans are we're, we're just we're getting larger. Um, the aircraft that is designed 50 years ago, you know, might not suit the needs of the modern traveler. And there is an opportunity for Boeing to, to change its thinking on this front going forward, if it indeed uh, moves ahead with NMA, which now appears uncertain. Um, one of the aspects of the MAX grounding that I haven't seen discussed uh, is the impact on our environment of the grounding. So of course, the MAX was built as being significantly more fuel efficient than its predecessor. That's part of the reason why it's got those giant engines on it, um, as much as 14% uh, more efficient. And, and of course, that means it's got much better green c- credentials um, with this grounding and, of course, with airlines using older jets to fill capacity needs, the situation is not good for the environment. Um, yeah, so we know that travelers are paying close attention to the environment with the flight chain movement in Europe gaining steam. And, of course, this is where climate-conscious travelers are vowing not to fly um, so there is an environmental aspect and impact, uh, from the grounding, uh, in the context of the climate crisis that I think is rather important to consider. And also when you think about the climate crisis and you think about how it's affecting our world, mm. Max, um, I don't know. It's, it's a subject that I think needs to be looked at a little bit more.
1: It would be interesting to see someone make a calculation of uh, how many tons of uh, carbon monoxide are going into the atmosphere uh, because of the fact that we're flying more inefficient aircraft right now and not the the 737 MAX. Uh, it, it it probably is a significant number.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Alas. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, uh, a big event coming up that switched gears here a little bit, Mary, uh, the big apex expo is scheduled to take place september 9th through 12th 2019 in los angeles mary this is always a big show for runway girl network i'm sure you're going to attend as well as uh, some other uh, uh, familiar faces Uh, but it's also big for runway girl network readers as well so what are you most looking forward to in la
0: Um, Well, I have to say the Apex Expo is one of the two major PAX exhibitions on our calendar each year, Max, Um, the other being the, the Big Aircraft Interiors Expo in Hamburg. And this year's um, event, we'll see the APEX exhibition co-located with the Aircraft Interiors Expo's Americas Conference, which is decidedly smaller footprint than what we see in Hamburg, but they're going to be co-located with APEX, as well as the IFSA exhibition, which is the International Flight Services Association, and they serve the needs of the in-flight food and catering community. But really the heart of this exhibition is the Inflat Entertainment and Connectivity Community, um, where APEX, formerly known as the WAEA, um, really got started in, in IFEC and, and content. And that, includes, uh, that means that we're going to see tons of stakeholders in the IFEC space at this event. Now, one key trend that we're seeing is that IFEC suppliers are moving away from a hardware-focused message um, so a little bit of background. When I started covering this industry now over 20 years ago, it was all about the boxes and the screens right. and the hardware. And, you know, and we still see a bit of that where you know, we'll see aircraft antenna reveals for um, sometimes at these exhibitions. They've become a bit common. And that's, of course, hardware. But now it's really all about the software and how the software can be used to personalize the experience for travelers. So it's been really interesting to see the shift in messaging away from boxes uh, to software. And I have to say, that means also that I, I need to uh, reprogram my brain a little bit, Max, because I'm used to covering hardware. So um, I'm hoping actually to, uh, that the Apex Expo is also going to be educational for me uh, as well. And I'm, I'm sure it will be because uh, this will be a lot of the messaging. And uh, we got a hint of it, actually, at the Aircraft Interiors Expo in Hamburg when Panasonic Avionics unveiled its new ARC software, which is kind of a moving map, but so much more. And so the stated design objectives for this ARC Uh, Software are storytelling, air-to-ground retailing, and cross-platform personalization. And it's also going to be using connectivity to support that retail element. So this true kind of moving map on steroids that we've talked about in the past that it seems to be coming to fruition. So I think we can see a lot of similar messaging around uh, the software front and personalization um, at this forthcoming expo in Los Angeles. Um, And I guess it speaks volumes about where we're kind of at in society, you know, uh, right now. And of course, as we've discussed before, um, in tandem with this, in-flight advertising is about to be personalized. And so I expect to receive an update on what's going on at the show uh, because a number of stakeholders, including Global Eagle, are keen to get this right so that airlines can monetize their entertainment offerings. But whilst also providing engaging advertisement to passengers, that's not going to be deeply intrusive and um, you know, something a little bit more along the lines of what they're ex- they're used to experiencing kind of mm. on the ground. Um, but you know what I'm really excited about, Max? I mean, I love all the IFEC and interior stuff, but at the Apex Expo, during the day-long conference before the actual exhibition opens its doors, um, they've got just an incredible lineup. CEO after CEO is scheduled to speak. It's kind of amazing. And during their lunch. They're going to have a Women Leaders in Aviation Networking Luncheon sponsored by Viasat. And the lineup of women that are scheduled to attend is just absolutely remarkable. Um, it's going to be moderated by Viasat's Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, who is a woman. Her name is Sean Duffy. And they're going to feature American Airlines VP of Global Marketing, Janelle Anderson, Atlantic Airways CEO, uh, Joanna A. Bergie. Now, I believe I have butchered her name there, but um, we'll include a link to the show. Etihad Airways Vice President, Guest Services and Delivery, uh, Linda Celestino. JetBlue Airways Senior Vice President, Talent and Learning, Rachel McCarthy. Latam Brazil CEO Emeritus, Claudia Sender. Oman Air uh, SVP Guest Experience and Branding uh, Zia Kai, Qantas Loyalty CMO Joe Boundy, and United Executive Vice President Technology and Chief Digital Officer Linda Jojo. Mm. That is quite a lineup. It is.
1: When I looked at the <laughs> schedule, I was just amazed, and I uh, I noticed the same thing that n- not only were there many many airline CEOs uh, in the first day of the schedule, but Uh, The diversity of of the speakers uh, across uh, all the sessions was, uh, I mean, there's still room for improvement, but it really surprised me how uh, how diverse the group was. And, of course, there's always uh, some awards at this event. The Apex Passenger Choice Awards are one of my favorites, but there's lots of other awards as well.
0: There are. Yeah, it's a a special time. And, you know, I have to hats off to the CEO of Apex and of IFSA. He's CEO of both. uh, His name's Joe Leader. I don't know if you've ever met him, uh, Max, Um, but you may see him on on Twitter. He's always flying around the world, uh, meeting with these various airlines, and he's clearly, you know, done a bang up job here um, on the schedule for this conference. So, um, and as you say, in improving diversity. So it's super exciting um, to, to see this kind of focus and to see so many senior women participate. Mm. So um, yeah, I'm thrilled. It's, it's going to be great. And like I said, we'll, we'll include a link to the schedule on the site um, for those who might consider joining in Los
1: Angeles. I have to attend next year. <laughs> I, I have to. We don't yes. know where it's going to be yet, do we? Yes.
0: I believe it's San Diego next year, I believe, so... Can we convince you to f- fly over to the West Coast then, uh, Max? I think so. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, uh, unfortunately, we're rapidly coming to a close. I want to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com and on Apple and Google Podcasts. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at Runway Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We would love to have you.
1: And please be sure to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PAXX podcast.
0: Take care, everyone.